Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to China Corner Office, a podcast produced in partnership with SupChina, featuring conversations with business leaders from around the world about the challenges and opportunities of doing business in China, the world's most dynamic economy. I'm Chris Marquis, a professor of business at Cornell, where I teach and research on this same topic. Every episode, we talk to an executive at a company doing business in China and explore what has led to their personal and business success, and also some of the challenges they've encountered along the way. With geopolitical tensions between the US and China on the rise, Understanding how business can compete in China is more important now than ever. If you're interested in doing business in China or are looking for insights to adjust your current business strategy, this is the show for you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, and today it's great. We have Virginia Tan, founding partner of Tasia Ventures, the first gender lens VC fund for emerging Asia. Thanks so much for joining us today, Virginia. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Super excited, um, you know, to be to be on this podcast. So I'd love to just start with a big picture question. You know, would you mind just describing Tasia Ventures' investment thesis, some of the goals and priorities you have for the fund? Um, absolutely. So, so Tasia Ventures invests um, in technology companies for the Xi economy. So, 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 what exactly you know is the Xi economy? Um, you know, the Xi economy is something we see as a, I think globally, um, eighteen trillion dollar market, and Asia alone about a trillion dollar market. I think what it means is that looking at uh, the Xi economy to me is more than what I call you know tampons and milk bottles, you know, but it's it's actually really looking at you know where women as a demographic, as consumers, as online traffic, as a mobile workforce, and you know as as a target of of, of that market. You know, when I started to create Teja, I think. One of the key things is that well, I really saw you know women as as economic drivers, and and Tejas' thesis is actually that women are um, both drivers are the biggest drivers as well as beneficiaries for new business models in the internet economy. And I think you know when we invest, we invest along those lines. You know we look at um, and 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 we see technology really. Um, as a tool to sort of scale and monetize, you know, those behaviors. I, I think what I wanted to say, you know, um, is that 
I don't we, we don't just see women as beneficiaries, which I think historically has been when people look at, at, at women. And I think recently there's been a pretty viral article on Medium by Jesse, the venture capitalist Jesse Draper, saying that investing in women is not a is not a charity. And 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 I think you know when we when we structured Teja, you know it was so it, it was so key. That you know, women as a demographic were seen as economic drivers, and 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 essentially, you know how they were driving revenue and growth of companies, regardless of whether companies are, you know, female orientated or not. And I think you know that was really you know the the sort of the inspiration for um for for, for building Teja and understanding how I think um, technology as a tool as an instrument, you know, is really facilitating those behaviors. So women as conduits to new markets, women as first adopters of new consumption patterns especially, you know, in a in a post-COVID world. Great. No, th- thank you. I mean, it's really, you know, it, it is certainly true that the commercial reasons for investing in women, you know, are, are tremendous. And I, you know, very much agree with you, particularly on the technology side, uh, like you mentioned, you know, and it is an obviously not just charity or even maybe not doesn't need to be seen as charity at all. Uh, but would you mind commenting as well on what you see is potentially some of the sort of impact uh, effects of your investments as well. Sure, 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 sure absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, I, I think as a fund, when we make investment decisions, we are, you know, commercially driven. So let me talk about the way we view impact. I think, you know, for a long time, I think with the rise of ESG over the last, I would say, decade or so, I think people first started, or conventional investors first started to allocate capital into ESG because they saw that as, for example, okay, you know, it's a good thing to do. It's also a, a risk mitigating, uh, risk, risk mitigation strategy a lot of the times, you know, uh, uh, and, and, and this is something we should allocate part of our portfolio too. And then, you know, obviously you have, you, you have impact on an entire spectrum, right? You have um, sort of, you know, you, you know, positive selection. So you don't, you, you don't pick companies which are, which are in certain verticals, right? And then, and then you move more broadly into to ESG and, and you try, try to measure that. But I think, you know, for when I, when, when we look at impact at Teja Ventures, I think it's not about impact sort of as something ancillary, something that, okay, you invest in a great company, which is doing very well. And then after that, you measure the impact. Okay, this created so many jobs, you help so many people. When we look at impact and when we try to invest, we see impact as as central to the business model. We see impact as sometimes the reason why the business model is actually more competitive, or actually something that we want to see. You know, um, which we, which we believe is actually the way of the future. It is the impact which actually creates a competitive advantage for the company, and and it's not you know ancillary or or, or sort of as a byproduct. And I think that's the way. Um, you know, we, we really see impact and and the way we invest in Teja Ventures. Yeah, I mean, so I can see, you know, so where whereas maybe sometimes impact investing is seen as concessionary, you know, it seems that there's just a really important synergy underlying sort of doing well and doing good um, in in your model. I was wondering, is, is there specific examples you could give to really sort of put some flesh on that? I think I, I think you know the the I think Chris is it's it's uh, it's an interesting. Um, question, you know, that, 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 that you ask, because I think when I first started with Teja Ventures, you know, I, I hadn't really seen, you know, sort of gender lens, we, we call Teja gender lens fund, we hadn't actually seen Teja actually as a, as, as an, imp, you know, as, as impact investing in, in any sort of way, you know, we actually had just seen it as, as, as a commercially driven thesis. And, 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 and actually a lot of that, you know, influenced by China, which I can, you know, get into more later. Um, but, you know, when, when we talk about some of the, the impact that we're seeing, so for example, you know, a, a couple of great examples, um, and just before actually this, um, you know, the, the, getting on this podcast, I was talking to some of my fellow investors about a company that actually is our very first, uh, uh, one of our very first investments that we made in Teja, you know, two two years ago, it was essentially a technology company doing cashless aid distribution. 
um, you know, to 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 the, to the bank across Asia, and you know, essentially, you know, what they do is that um, using facial recognition, um, you know, if, if you want to distribute aid to somebody, you know, what they can do is they can go to their nearest sort of retail store, um, and 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 actually redeem that aid. But you know, you know, um, in terms of um, goods and and, and services, that the company's called Do It Ape. Um, and, you know, this year, you know, because of obviously the, you know, COVID-19, the company has grown more than 30 times. So, 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 so that's an example whereby, you know, the, you know, the very nature, I think, of the company was to ensure that, that you could, you, 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 you could do this sort of a cashless way. It, it sort of enables aid to be distributed in a transparent way, you know, avoids corruption. But at the same time, you know, when, when, when we really looked at it, what, when we really, you know, what happens when, when you actually, you know, distribute aid that way? I think I think I think the first thing is that you actually know what, what people spend it on, and and what we've seen, you know, in 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 a lot of studies, for example, is that I think you know when, for example, when you distribute cash, for example, you know, very often, um, you know, a discretionary amount is being is, is spent on things which are not essential to the family. It could be alcohol, cigarettes, whatever. But when you you know dispense aid in this way that you can control, almost hundred percent will then go to the family. So 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 that's a, a very interesting example of 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 that impact, so to speak. But I think you know, um, you know, but but how is this a commercially driven thesis? I think Chris, you might you, you might you might want to ask. And this is exactly what right. I was discussing on the call before I got onto this podcast. Right. Essentially, is that you know the unbank, you know, they 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 essentially they, they they lack access to credit. And you know, one of the things we we spend a lot of time talking to the company is like, is essentially how they would actually monetize. And we've actually realized that, you know, if 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 they were you know able to essentially go to retail points near their their houses to redeem aid you know they could redeem payments as well you know they could also redeem credit for example so that would be mm-hmm. my that investor on the call literally called it like a mastercard for the unbanked <laughs> so 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 that's an for example an an, an example of, wow. of of a of impact times commercial because i you know i believe you know who 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 would end up buying a company like that potentially someone like a mastercard so you see yeah. it, it ends a day and 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 we see you know the the company actually sort of um you know aid is for everybody but this particular company do it up they actually prefer female beneficiaries to you know in, uh-huh. in, a, in a way because they believe that that actually enables the aid to get down to the family at the end of the day so so that's essentially you know how the the gender lens comes in so again women have become the conduits to a new market you know the the unbanked essentially yeah wow great example thank you very much um, I'm wondering if you could also sort of, as we talk, think about sort of impact models, you know, you invest in, in China, you invest in a variety of different sort of Southeast Asian and Asian countries. Could you maybe contrast maybe how impact may differ in China versus other locations? Sure. Um, I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, when I look at it, I think Teja invests um, in, in, in Asia. I think we have investments in China, we have investments in India, we have investments in Southeast Asia, um, in particular Indonesia. Um, you know, when I look at, I think East versus West type impact investing, I think I think when impact investing, um, you know, first started, I think, I I think because of conventional investors, you know, the, the inability for conven- conventional investors to very naturally reconcile impact with commercial outcomes, I think it was very natural that people saw impact as being concessionary, you know, impact related um, sort of um, investments being concessionary in some way or the other. But I think what I see a lot in in Asia, and I, you know, and I would say China, you know, is that I think impact here doesn't necessarily need to be concessionary. And I think there is a certain expectation from investors that even if you are investing in impact, and so there's that halo of impact, you know, I think you you know, it's still very very much expected to be a commercially driven model, certain mm-hmm. type of scalability, etc. 
it's just that maybe that the area that 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 you would have chosen, you know, um, you know, for example, I think in 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 China, for example, we're seeing you know um a lot of investment being poured in, for example, into environment, for example, um, mm-hmm. you know, into um, you know, um, I think disabled rights, you know, for example, but but right. I I I I definitely seeing from investors that they they are expecting to see, you know. Um, you know, great business models, essentially. And Teja is, I think Teja is no different in that sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Do you see then that like, so the competition to invest in these funds, you know, you're against a variety, you know, could be impact investors, could be mainstream VC firms, you know, so it's from what you're saying, it suggests that, you know, that there's going to be a lot more of a market for these uh, companies that are able to successfully, in a non-concessionary way, blend doing well and doing good. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that question. And we are at a very, very timely point, I think, in, in the history of impact investing. And and just, you know, the world is, we're living in unprecedented times, Chris. Um, you know, I, I, I love that question because what I'm starting to see, especially in a post-COVID world, is that things which were deemed very social, two years ago or so, three years ago, two, three years ago, are now becoming not just commercially viable, but commercially very attractive. So for example, um, just two, two, three weeks ago, you saw Green Monday, for example, which started off literally as like a vegan sort of movement out of Hong Kong. They raised $70 million from a bunch of commercial um, investors such as Swire Group, for example, and also from impact investors like like TPG's Rise. So, so one of the things that we've noticed, you know, Teja and our own portfolio is that you know, when we first um, when we first went in, you know, a lot of these companies perhaps were not seen you know, or not looked upon as you know uber commercial. I would say by venture capital. You know, however, maybe a year after we've come in, and and I think you know, and and I think it's it's really taught me a lot about how we want to work as as, as venture capitalists. You know, a, a year or so after we've come in, um, you know, then conventional investors actually start to take notice. And I'm I'm really excited about that because it means that, you know, what we're working to become is we want to become the go-to fund in the she economy, but also a market maker. So we've seen that, for example, we have an Indian company called Frontier Markets, you know, after 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 us, you know, came in um, a TPG's Rise Fund. I think it's one of their first investments for India. Right. When, when when we invested in them, they, they didn't have the technology. They're essentially a last mile distribution um, company, uh, you know, for, um, you know, and India has a, has a billion rural consumers. Again, um, previously, venture capitalists were only paying attention to the urban population in India. And now, especially in a post-COVID world whereby supply chains need to be kept open um, and, you know, th- you know, this is a huge untapped market, all of a sudden venture capital is starting to pay attention to, to, to the rural population. So last mile distribution and commerce and e-commerce, right, have, have become a huge thing. So, so, so that's really exciting. Um, we, we're seeing, you know, we, we're seeing the same in the company I just talked about just now, Do It Ape. Yeah. Um, you know, being now being chased by a lot of conventional investors when two years ago it was seen as completely and totally social. Um, you know, I'm I, I'm seeing that uh, there's one particularly interesting company we just invested in. Um, again, you know, they, they they're essentially doing you know refillable FMCG. Um, two three years ago, that would have been seen as a CSR play for large FMCG companies. So you know, they they, they do a refill model, but now um, being chased by not just venture capital, but all of these large um, you know MNCs as well. You know, who are essentially looking to new business models to serve the five billion consumers that they haven't tapped on, because most of the world and most of technology was built for the first two billion. Yeah. Right. Super interesting, and it's really you know wonderful to hear how this has come. You know progressed over the past number of years so that, you know, you're able to actually do impact in a non-concessionary uh, way. 
I'm curious, I'd love to step back a little bit uh, in your trajectory on, on this and understand more about your idea to start this fund. You know, as Josephine mentioned, you had worked, you know, founded Lean in China, She Loves Tech. You know, where did you get the idea for the fund? And, you know, I'd love to hear sort of the first steps in getting it started. Sure. Um, you know, Chris, they say all great things in life are, are all the great accidents, essentially. Um, and, and I think, you know, um, I, I think Teja was probably a bit, bit more deliberate than I would say Lean in China and She Loves Text, which were really, I think, some of the, the, the greatest accidents in my life. Um, uh, you know, I, I was working in China as, as, as a lawyer on emerging market investments. Um, and a group of, of, of women and I, um, you know, I, I met them at a party, actually, and we decided to start building communities for women across China. We started off in Beijing. We started off with 10 people, actually. 10 became 100, 100 became 1,000. And as you know, things in China really scale. And I think, you know, um, and, and this was, I think, the first time which I understood or started to realize what the power of the Xi economy really was. You know, within three years, we had a community of more than 100,000 members across 30 cities in China. And I think... It was a perfect storm. It was the rise of what we call, you know, um, you know, women's consciousness. So, you know, a younger generation of women mm-hmm. who are faced with so much information, so many options, you know, great education, you know, great economic opportunities, and also the rise of what we call big tech, big tech in China. And so, you know, essentially, um, I quit my job as a lawyer at the end of 2015, started to build Lean in China into uh, full time as, as a full organization, and, you know. Essentially, for the last seven years, what I was was what I was able to see was I was at the forefront of understanding how technology was changing the way people, but in particularly women, you know, were were, were living, the way they were consuming, and and how they were fulfilling the things that they aspired to, etc. And I think, um, and and then one of the big initiatives that Lean in China incubated was essentially She Loves Tech, which is now an independent organization. Mm-hmm. Back in 2015, we did our first round. It was just 100 people sitting in a room um, in Beijing, 10 startup companies, you know, which we had picked, you know, um, and a lot of um, China's now top venture capital funds, you know, the they had joined me as judges. Um, today, She Loves Tech is in more than 30 countries in six continents. This year, we received more than 3,000 applications. In fact, right after this wow. podcast, I'm going to judge our, our round in, in the United Arab Emirates. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's extremely exciting. And so, um, you know, I, you know, essentially when we see, we saw companies like Sequoia, like, you know, Tomasic's Vertex, like Tim Draper, like um, uh, Amazon start to put money into some of our winners. And, and, and our winners range from everything from, you know, fintech to, you know, I, we had a we had a technology company for disabled rights, which actually Amazon's Alexis one put money into, um, you know, to, um, you know, you know, solutions for the unbanked, um, you know, to, to mark, you know, uh, out of shown driven, you know, uh, marketplaces is that's when I started to realize, you know, there was an untapped opportunity here, um, you know, and, and and what did this opportunity actually look like? So I think I was a lot more deliberate with, with the approach with Teja. I spent all of 2017 really structuring the thesis. And as you, as you realize, right, Teja Ventures, we invest in both male and female entrepreneurs. What we're really looking at is actually women as a demographic. How does how, how does technology or the company or the product really affect women, you know, as a, as, as, as a whole? So women as a consumer, women as a um, uh, supply chain, you know, women as, um, as a mobile workforce, women as online traffic. And in turn, you know, you know, a lot of times we it's not just because we think it's socially great. It's because we believe that when you focus on women as a demographic, you know, this leads to certain strategic advantages for the company, 
when it comes to the total addressable market size, first of all, because women are conduits not just to new markets, they buy for themselves as well as their households. Second of all, because we think that, especially when we look at something like the future of retail, um, you know, focusing on female consumers actually causes certain types of virality, therefore reducing your customer acquisition cost. Um, and, and third of all, we look at long-term retention and the long-term value of, 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 of a user. And, and, and we know that women are more likely to, um, you know, to, to stay loyal, to, you know, to, to buy socially and to keep buying for themselves and their families, you know, you know once they have built that trust um, you know, uh, with that platform. So, so, so I think, you know, this is a lot of the thinking behind, behind Tage's thesis. And I'll, I'll be lying to you if I said I knew all the stuff right at the beginning. You know, we have built it, you know, as we built our, 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 our portfolio. Um, and, and I think I get more and more excited because I think in, in, in many ways, you know, um, you know, the way the companies have been growing, you know, have really been proving our, our, our thesis. Yeah, well, the excitement really comes through, and it is a super exciting uh, area to be investing in. And I'm curious, you mentioned you didn't have everything nailed down at first, and, I, and I'd love to hear a little bit about how you early on were approaching your investors, uh, your LPs, and what you learned through the process, and maybe just generally who, who some of those are. I mean, you might not be able to name them specifically, but sort of what types of investors are they? I joked to my friends, I said, you know, I've spent the last two years fundraising, but in many ways, I think the fund is raising me. And, um, you know, I, 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 I think I've learned a lot. Um, and there's only one way I, I, you know, I, I feel like, um, when you're building a, you know, um, a, your first fund, there's, you know, being, being a first time fund manager, there's no way of getting around that apart from being a first time fund manager. I think, um, I, 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 I think, you know, what they say about going to, to, to friends and family is, is literally true. I think a lot of the people who put in sort of the first checks were people who had known my work, um, you know, from Lean in China, from She Loves Tech, mm-hmm. they, they knew that track record. And so, you know, um, you know, you know, they, they were happy to actually, you know, b- believe in that thesis. Um, you know, they were mostly high net worth individuals, or I'd say, you know, family offices, you know, from from the Asian region, though, I also have American investors. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, I, 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 I think, you know, they were betting on a few things. I think they were betting on on our team, you know, myself and, and, and three of my other partners who are very experienced investors, and I focus a lot on what they called you know, um, the, the she economy. Um, I, I, I think the second thing is that, you know, we at Teja Ventures, we really believe that women are the largest arbitrage opportunity um, of, our, of my generation. Um, and technology, you know, is the game changer, you know, to, 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 um, you know, to, 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 to scale that, whether you want to say from a returns perspective or from an impact perspective. And I think a lot of those LPs bought into that, that thesis. Um, but, but, I, but I think, you know, if I'm just going to be very, very honest, you know, especially from an Asian perspective, I think, um, you know, some of the, the um, a, a lot, of, I would say, of the investors, they liked impact. But I, I think what was important to them is that they also bought the commercial thesis. I think Asia is a very pragmatic place. And I think it was important to them that, that I think they, they, they described it to me this way. They said 70% economic thesis and 30% they would say impact. And I, and I think that would be a very, very fair way of 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 the way our our investors actually invest in us, yeah, and um and and, and of course I think I, I I think people you know who who believe in technology they want to support women and I think lately we've had a lot more men come into the fund so so I think that's that's very exciting for me because I think it's people start to understand the thesis and believe in it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and you mentioned even that a lot of the companies you may fund are actually led by men, which I, which might be counterintuitive to people just sort of looking at your website and sort of investing in the she economy. Can you say a little bit how you think about the leadership of the companies you invest in vis-a-vis the you know sort of uh, gender impact goals? 
Uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, um, my my first thesis before I actually went out and raised any money was actually focused just on female entrepreneurs. And um, the first person who saw my deck is a very, very famous um, impact investor, probably the probably I would say arguably the most successful impact investor in the world. He's he 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 runs a, a half a billion dollar Indian fund. And he said to me, Virginia, um, you know, think of women as an opportunity, not as a screen. And those words mm-hmm. never left me because I really went back and I, I redid the whole thesis. You know, I think as an investor, you know, you want to be investing in the best entrepreneurs. It's not about their gender identity. You know, you think about it, you know, think of what uh, Mohammed Yunus did for microfinance. You know, think what Grameen did. And Grameen essentially pioneered the idea of lending to underbanked women um, and has impacted millions and millions of lives across the world. And I thought to myself, you know, I need to find the next Mohammed Yunus or Jack Ma for that for that matter, regardless of their whether they're, they're male or female. So, so I think, you know, when... Um, you know, we have a gender lens sort of, um, you know, uh, you know, methodology, so to speak. You know, it's a it's a, it's a pyramid. Um, you know, we 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 look at the um, one of the gender lenses is whether you know there's a female founder, but that to me is not our do- dominant gender lens. Um, you know, like I said, Tage's portfolio is actually about sixty percent female founders, forty percent male founders, and we believe will even out over time. Actually, so um, the second and the third gender lenses to me are actually more important. Um, the second gender lens is, um, you know, does the consumer uh, product or the technology actually um, address solely or disproportionately the needs of, of, of women as, as consumer? Or, or does it address, you know, a gap in the market or does it address it in a better way? Is it more affordable? Is it higher quality, etc.? Uh, and then I think the, the, the third gender lens that we actually apply, um, you know, essentially is, um, you know, does it have a direct or indirect positive impact? Uh, ecosystem impact you know on, on women as, as, as an ecosystem that could mean women as distributors women as, as sellers that could mean women as as as, as supply chain you know agents so so we look we, we sort of look at it as a whole and, and I think you know the one thing you know that that I wanted to say is that gender is is not just about taking women so to speak okay there's a woman there therefore there's gender impact there's no women there so there's no gender impact I think that um you know gender actually you know, is, you know, is entrenched in a lot of our systems in a very nuanced way. So if you took the company Do It Ape, for example, um, you know, I mean, I mean, that's a great example, right? Because eight, you know, is, can be distributed to both men and women. So it's, it's, it's not about, about who it's being distributed to, but the question is, how is the eight spent? If, if, if you channel eight through women, can that eight be better spent than if you channeled it through men? And, and, and I think I, I think that's what we need to be thinking about. And then when you bring technology in, which means that you can actually control how the aid is spent, you know, how how does that actually impact, you know, the women versus the men versus the family? And I think that's the way we need to be thinking about gender in a much more nuanced way. And and financing technology and, and, and products, which actually, you know, um, produce those those kinds of outcomes. Yeah. Great. Super. Thanks. Uh, so in, a, in addition to the sort of gender focused lenses, uh, can you say a little bit more about how you end up selecting the companies that you invest in and then also the extent to which you're involved in the management moving forward? Sure. I mean, um, I'll answer I'll answer the second question first. I mean, sure. you know, we are investors, you know, um, um, you know, I, I, I draw a line there. I, I'm not an, an operator. Um, the, the point of me investing in a company is because I, I, I believe in a founder and I want to back them and I trust that they'll be way better at operations and products than I will ever be. So so I, I, I you know, 
I don't go in to, to run a company. Um, I, I, I think what we do is we back companies early, very often at seed or, you know, pre-A stage. Um, and, 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 and what we do is that, you know, I think we built Teja, my partners and I, because we believe that, you know, beyond providing capital, um, you know, we want to be a partner to entrepreneurs. It, it, and it means a number of things. It means, you know, going in early to be able to, to work with the entrepreneur, um, you know, to, 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 to basically, you know, structure, for example, you know, fundraising rounds, later fundraising rounds, advise them on strategic sort of resources that they should have, gaps in their team. And, 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 and very, very importantly, their market positioning of their company. Sometimes just tweaking the market positioning of your company can completely change the way who invests in you. So, you know, if we take the company, for example, Frontier Markets, when I first met them at a pitch competition in December 2017, their founder, Jaida Shah, is, is an incredible entrepreneur. I mean, and she, and she pitched Frontier Markets as a um, rural energy social enterprise. But I listened to her. And right after the competition, I told her, I said, you are not a rural energy social enterprise. Actually, what you are is a last small distribution um, platform, except that your first product was rural energy. And she realized that. And then I said, you need to build the technology. And she has done that in a remarkably sort of, you know, short period of time, incredible execution. Um, and now, you know, it's, 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 it's attracting, you know, it's basically all, all the right noises from 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 the investor ecosystem. So that that product positioning is is often very key. We have a, a recent company that we invested in as well. Um, very very excited about this company. They're called Burgreens. They're Indonesia's leading plant based food brand. When we first looked at them, they were an um, F and B, and nobody no 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 VCs investors really wanted to touch them. But when I really spent time with them, we started to realize that you know the founders real strength and real talent was actually in product and food innovation. So we said, hmm. you know, would you consider pivoting to a, a, a CPG, which is a consumer packaged goods company? And they, and again, incredible execution during the pandemic within four months, you know, they started to launch their, their frozen food products has been selling like hotcakes. Hmm. And now, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, great top tier global investors are now coming in. So, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, it's about being able to, 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 to get in early, really looking at the value drivers of the business, understanding the strengths of the team, working with them. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, that, that's the way we, we operate as, as, as a fund. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting to hear how you can just help them sort of reframe the positioning almost same business in some, in some cases, but, you know, by thinking in a little bit more sort of either broad or specific fashion that it actually ends up to being, being a much more successful offering. Um, I'm curious as well, your the China specific investments that you have. Can you say a little bit about uh, about those? Sure, sure. I mean, I mean the the first fund, the first comp- the first investment that the fund ever did was a Chinese company. Uh, we're also very excited about that because you know what we've actually seen. Um, I mean, I, I think the companies, uh, you know, a lot of these these gender lens sort of verticals that we touch, you know, are, are actually direct beneficiaries of, of sort of the, the, the trends post pandemic. So the first company we actually invested in was a company called Wonder Technology. Um, it's a mental health um, uh, uh, technology company based um, in China. And um, essentially what um, what they do is they use um, voice data to be able to diagnose um, emotional um, um, states. So, you know, so, so if you think about it, think of about an, an AI driven uh, calm, so to speak, you know, um, you know, calm, so, you, know, ev- ev- you know, everyday calm tells you, how are you feeling today, Virginia? And you put, I'm happy, I'm sad. But instead, you know, um, with Wonder Technology, you, you speak to it with eight seconds and it actually detects a range of emotions and then it pushes the content, you know, um, to, to manage your emotions, etc. 
um, and, um, and, 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 and actually AI driven music, you know, to you. Um, I, I, the founder set it up because, you know, she realized that, you know, depression and suicide were some of the leading causes of, of, of death, especially for young people across the world. I think in, in China, if you look at lo- the lower hanging fruit, so not, not looking at serious mental illness, 70, I think 74 or 75% of the Chinese population actually has what they call sub-mental health. But as you know, mental health, you know, the, the costs, you know, are often prohibitive, right? Because not everybody can afford a psychologist and they actually lacked, to be, to be honest, there's a lack of trained mental health professionals in all of Asia, let alone China. And, and, so, and so this was, um, you know, a, a, a solution. Um, and, and I mean, I think, I think the reason why we backed it, apart from the fact that, you know, we really believed in the founder was the fact that, first of all, you know, huge market, you know, you know, completely, you know, uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, blue ocean. Um, and, and, and second of all, I think it's, it's our belief that, you know, voice will be the predominant sort of medium, um, you know, of, of, uh, you know, in, in terms of the internet economy in the future. So, 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 so that's an example. Yeah. Um, another, sorry, should I, should I, should I, should I talk about the other company? Yeah, please. And if you have one more, maybe one more example, and then I have a couple other short questions and I want to ask the audience, you know, it'd be great to take some questions from the floor. So please be thinking and you can enter them, uh, in the Q and a, uh, function. So, so please, please add your questions and we can ask Virginia. So great. So another example, please, Virginia. Thank you. Yeah. Another Chinese company we have is, uh, essentially, you know, um, uh, uh, a keto based, um, uh, healthy foods and snacks company. They, they they do keto coffee, keto chocolates, keto um, you know uh, foods, etc. etc. Uh, and we invested in it because we know that China has the largest um, pre diabetic population in the world. You know, up to four hundred million people. Um, and um, and 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 we knew that um, you know um, you know the healthy food sort of revolution revolution hadn't fully hit sort of China. We we, we know that you know I think health and wellness is is, is basically a huge vertical. Um, it's, it's one of our focus verticals at, at Teja, um, you know, um, in, in addition to what we call the future of retail and financial inclusion. And we know that in, in China, most of our investments so far are really focused in, in health and wellness. Um, but what we liked about them was that, you know, they weren't a, um, we, we like to look at, you know, what I, what I call the future of retail type business models, new retail business models. So, you know, they sold most of their, um, most of, they only sold through WeChat. For example, and they and they had their own proprietary sort of um, you know distributors through WeChat you know groups etc. And you know that was what we call direct to consumer model. So you know bypassing traditional retail. That's the kind of stuff that we like a lot. You know, um, you know uh, w- whether it's omnichannel, but we we really we really like the sort of the direct to consumer sort of of, of of retail models. And again, you know, um, keto food, healthy food is for everybody. But when you look at right. actually who's buying it and you look at who's distributing and selling it, again, it's it's usually women. You know, so, 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 so that was actually very interesting for us. The same thing with mental health, may I ask? Mental health <laughs> solutions are for everybody. Yeah. They're not, they're not just for women, they're for everybody. But what we noticed is that when, when the company actually took, you know, went deep into who's actually willing to pay for mental health solutions, who's, who's, who's actually more willing, um, you know, to, 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 to even, you know, start to adopt or, or, or actually start to, to consume in this way. Again, you know, they, they found women, but in particular mothers and new mothers most willing to pay, you know, for, for these solutions. So again, you know, we see women as conduits to new markets. If, if you look at health and wellness more broadly, um, in the healthy food space um, and on, in, in the digital healthcare space, um, 90, 93% of, of women in the Asia-Pacific region want to, to change their, their diets to something more healthy in the next 12 months. You know, when you look at digital health, um, I think it's something like 
I think 93% or 90, 96% of over-the-counter purchases, um, you know, for, 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 for pharmaceutical sort of purchases are done by women. Mm -hmm. And women are actually much more likely than men to search for health information online. Um, and so if you look at the rise of telemedicine and stuff, you know, even though telemedicine is for everybody, um, it, it, across across platforms in Asia, you will see the majority of, 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 of digital users are women. Yeah. Great. Um, well, one other question I had, and it sort of aligns with one of the questions that's come in uh, through the Q&A as well, is uh, alignment with government priorities. I think this may exist everywhere. Uh, and I'd love to hear your comments about, you know, Indonesia, India, et cetera, but particularly China, you know, the extent to which, you know, I, the many of the VCs I've talked to in China, if you can align, you know, things like environmental sustainability, poverty alleviation, you know, that's seen as, as a real plus. And I'd love to hear about how you think about uh, sort of government involvement in the sectors you're investing in. I mean, I think, I think, you know, when you're when you're investing in emerging markets, right, whether it's China, Indonesia or India, you know, um, I, I, I think there are two big risks, right? I think founder risk is everywhere. But the second risk is obviously political risk, right? Or reg regulatory risk, mm -hmm. right? Can make or break a company. I think I think, you know, in, in, in these sectors, if we're talking about impact, I think that government regulation definitely has a positive role to play. So, for example, you know, I think one of the reasons why investors started to get much more interested in mental health, for example, is because I think China sort of um, there was new sets of regulations last year and this year, essentially saying that you know schools need to set aside budgets, um, you know, for mental health solutions, etc., because of of the high rates of of sort of um, you know depression and also suicide. So so they're actually actual regulations, and and one of the ways that they felt you know to do that was actually in the mental health assessment space, which is exactly the space that Wonder Tech is playing in, because they started off with diagnosis, and now they're moving to mental health assessments because. We know that that's something which is, it's a market which is rising and also the government is actually supporting the development of that market, for example. Um, you know, um, I, I think two other you know, places where I think, you know, regulation is key is, you know, in the environment. So, um, you know, we see that, for example, in Indonesia. I mean, just because in the last few years, Indonesia, the Indonesian government is slowly but surely banning plastic, single-use plastic. We've seen that. We started off in the, in the island of Bali. And I think I think the speed and you know at which they have actually executed is a quite impressive, you know. Um, you know, if you, if you go to like a Bali hotel, you you know you you couldn't find like a bottle, for example, of, of soap or shampoo in the hotel. You know, it would be a refillable container. And I think you know the, the company I, I I spoke briefly about a company in our portfolio called Seclus, for example. They are doing refillable FMCG sort of um, stations. Um, you know, started they started off you know really you know for the for the base of the pyramid for the mass consumer. But because, you know, the Indonesian government is saying that they want to cut plastic usage by 70%, I think, in the next five years and then completely, you know, be, be, be plastic free by, I think, 2040. Um, I mean, models like that are actually really, really getting a lot of traction right now. Um, I mean, for, for, from two areas, from a commercial aspect, if you buy a refillable FMCG, you're essentially 30% cheaper than buying it with packaging. So that's actually the incentive for the consumer. And then obviously, you know, you save, you know, it's completely plastic free, right? Because you bring your own, your own sort of container. So, 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 you know, that's where we, we, we definitely see this, this, this area becoming a lot more hot. And, and when, and how do I judge that by just seeing the amount of companies that I'm seeing and the amount of funding going to that, you know, another area which we've seen really take off in the last, you know, I would say one and a half years in, in, in especially in Asia is obviously the whole, you know, green food, plant-based food, 
um, you know, healthy food. Um, and I think a lot of that has also been pushed by, for example, in Singapore, huge government policies on sort of um, um, food, food security, sustainability, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, food innovation. Every single week now, I'm seeing new startups come out, you know, with, with you know, either on, on you know, innovation on the sort of the, the, the ingredient side or, um, or, or on the sustainability side um, and actually raising quite a lot of money. So, I think government regulation definitely has 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 a role to play here. Yeah. Yeah, super interesting, and particularly how it, you know, sort of is similar and varies across the different contexts you in, you invest in. So that's great. Thank you. Uh, you touched on this already a bit, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about how the work uh, your work changed during the pandemic and some. You know, you've highlighted a few positives, uh, positive cases. Any negative cases as well? I mean, um, you know, Chris. Um, you know, I, I, I think in the way the pandemic has really changed the game for funds like myself. Um, I think I think um, before the pandemic, I think, you know, what we were doing, you know, I, I've always believed in the commercial thesis behind the Xi economy and technology and, 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 and women consumers. But I think that um, pre-pandemic, we're still, we're still seen as very niche, you know, as a very niche thesis. I think post-pandemic, I think investors are a lot more open and, and really seeing the thesis on its merits because um you know all of the essentially all the bets that we put in pre-pandemic you know have all been direct beneficiaries of, of, of the pandemic so we put money into for example remote work um you know social networks for women a company called shiro's in india for example um you know we put money into obviously healthy food uh, mental health we put money into a lot a lot of what we call the future of retail so a lot of what we call e-commerce 2.0, 3.0, you know, I don't invest in conventional marketplaces. So a lot of, for example, social commerce, last mile distribution, uh, trade supply, digitalization. So when the pandemic hit, all the physical means were actually much more limited and people realizing actually that we need to accelerate all these digital means. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, in, in, I guess in a way, the pandemic has confirmed our thesis that this is this must be the way. Um, and, and women are conduits to these new consumption patterns. So the pandemic has been very positive for us. Our, our entire portfolio is actually all doing very well. I mean, it's none of them have actually been impacted by the pandemic in a, in a negative way. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned sort of one of your portfolio companies. I think you said Shiro's and, and changes in work. And that's actually lines with one of the questions we have from the audience. Uh, you know, one of the, some of the main trends you see impacting the workforce, especially female workforce, and how do startups help female workers upskill and reinvent themselves to adapt to the future of work? Sure. I mean, I mean, I think the the, the, the statistic that I have is something like 32% of companies at least will switch to, you know, from hiring permanent work, permanent workers to more contingent workers, you know, more into the gig economy. Um, I think, you know, with, we have a company called Shiro's, they're the largest um, uh, women's social network in India. They have about 21 million users. They've grown very, very quickly. And one of their main sort of revenue streams was actually remote work. You know, they were onboarding a lot of their, their community to be remote workers. And, you know, during the pandemic, they really saw that, you know, go up. I've always believed in, um, like I said, one of our our tenets, right, of, of our thesis is actually women as consumers, as online traffic, but as a mobile workforce. The truth is, you know, I think having a mobile workforce that affects both men and women, but I think women have always traditionally have had to balance work and life more, um, the, the demands of the home and, and work. And so I think, you know, will be a huge asset to actually, you know, our shift towards remote work um, because that in many ways, you know, frees up. You know, I think 
not just frees up time, but frees up, you know, uh, uh, their ability to, to contribute to economic output in ways that, that, that we haven't seen before. So, for example, a company that we're actually looking at right now is a um, telemedicine sort of um, uh, startup with, with sort of um, chains of clinics, you know, in, in, a, in, in, in a South Asian country. Um, and it, it basically utilizes a lot of um, women doctors who essentially, after getting married, they, they, they're not necessarily allowed to go out and work. So utilizing their them at, at you know their their labor, but from at home is actually provide. This is actually the heart of their business model, as an example. Yeah. So great, really interesting. Uh, we have we have a question uh, uh, about your competitors. You know, who, who do you see as your competitors, uh, if anyone? I mean, I, I don't know if I call them competitors, or maybe I I would say you know who who do I look up to? Maybe, um, uh-huh. you know, I, I think um, in the U.S. I think it would be a fun cult forerunner. I think okay. um, you know I'm, I've been I've been very uh, inspired by the the way they invest. I mean, they don't call themselves a gender lens fund or anything like that. But when I look at the categories in which they invest in, I think I think you know uh, we're quite similar. You know, for example, they, they invest in companies that are looking at the future of of, of consumers. You know, um, they have a you know a company like called um, which is a vitamin company. It's about you know making customized vitamins, for example. And like I said, even though vitamins are really for everybody, but we know that especially in, in Asia, that, you know, women would be the first adopters and they'd be buying for themselves and for their families. So um, I, I think Forerunner is something that, 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 that we really like. Um, I think um, there are a lot of, uh, I think, funds these days, I think, which are, you know, really focusing on, on, on diversity. So, you know, um, uh, focusing on sort of women entrepreneurs, um, I think what we call them female-focused-only funds. Um, I think there's some overlap there as well. There, there's a lot. I mean, there, there's increasing numbers in in, in U.S. in Europe and in and in Asia, and I, I I welcome that, and I think there's overlap, right? Because we also invest in female founders. So so I, I think I think for you know for, for for me what I do is that I think there's a lot of room for collaboration in the space. So you know I, I was I was looking at a at, at a company today earlier today actually, um, you know it it, it was a um a, an ed tech company you know in Southeast Asia, and um you know there were two other sort of women sort of focused funds who were also looking at it. So I called them up. Mm-hmm. And I actually said, hey, you know, um, you know, we're sharing notes and, and, and we all really, really want to, we, we really, really like the founder. We want to back her. But there's some issues that we need to resolve, but I'm saying maybe each of us should put in a slightly bigger check so that, you know, and, and then, and then, and then, you know, and, and then see how it goes because then, then she can get off her feet a little bit more. So, so I think, um, yeah, I don't think there's anybody with an identical thesis, um, but, um, you know, I, 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 I think there are lots of overlaps with, with existing funds and, and, there, and I think there are also existing funds, which look at, which invest in the, which have invested in the Xi economy, but not necessarily have called themselves that, um, you know, so, so I think, um, and, and I, and I think what's important, Chris, is that investment's not a game that you can play alone. You have to work with others and, 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 and it may be at the early days when, when Teja makes a bet, it may be in the early days, you know. Um, we, 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 we work, we actually work a lot with angels, leading angels, cause we go in very early and we may, you know, talk to other impact funds in early days. And then when the company gets more mature, then we start talking to a lot of the sort of commercial players. And, and I think this, this line is getting more and more blurred because the line between impact and commercial is getting more and more blurred. Um, and, 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 you know, like I said, you know, doing well should be equivalent to doing good. It shouldn't be sort of, um, seen as in any way incompatible with it. Yeah. Right. Great. Um, we have a couple questions about sort of returns and, and exits, and I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, both what sort of uh, returns you're expecting uh, through the fund, but then and then also, you know, how you think about 
uh, exit. I know the fund is very early in its life, so I don't think there's been any exits, um, you know, yet. But but how you're thinking about that sort of the pipeline of companies you have, whether to sell to some strategic uh, versus go public. Um, Etc. Yeah, I think the answer to that question actually really depends on which regions you're looking for, right? Because if uh-huh, you look at right. like if you're looking at U.S. and China, then really, you know, you you know, I think listing and going public is a very mature uh, and uh, to be honest, well trodden path. But when you're looking at places like Southeast Asia, for example, um, you know, I mean, I'm going to be lying if I told you that our capital markets were as developed. You know, we we've had you know very very few examples of successful listing there. Even even with the largest unicorns that we have you know they haven't listed yet for example so 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 the way we see i think a lot of our exits would, would be through i would say either secondaries or, or or certain types of strategic acquisitions and i think i i i think that also means you know knowing what people are looking for so for example we know like in in the healthy food space you know people definitely are looking for 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 for, for brands there you know because um you know uh a lot of traditional um, companies, which have been traditionally in the space, are also looking to innovate. So they either acquire or they or, or they'll try to build their own, right, etc. So, um, you know, for example, that's an example. The other thing is also, I think exits in this case are going to be very, very opportunistic, right? Because if mm-hmm. if everyone wants everybody wants to get into a deal, then you know you're definitely going to be able to find a way to get out. So, so I mean, what we're definitely seeing is that you know, um, I, I don't necessarily think that we need to wait till. An acquisition takes place, or, or or a potential listing takes place. It may be that if we go in at a seat, then you know we we, we we come out a couple rounds later if we think we can make our multiples. So I I, I I think it just depends. I think what we've seen in the first year performance is that um, our performance is, is on par. You know, I think it's beyond my expectation to be honest. Um, be, you know, with on par with any any commercial VC fund that we know. Yeah. One question about risk. I mean, a lot of the places where you're investing, you know, be it Thailand, India, Indonesia, even China, you know, there's certain legal risks that exist. And, and it may be difficult to sort of nail down the financial business case. I'm curious how across these different contexts you think about uh, risk management. So how do we handle our risk in, in essentially emerging markets? Yep. I, I guess that's the question. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. And so, there's variance across the different emerging markets as well. But yeah, I mean, um, this is it, right? Like I said, I think at first of all, it's early stage, and then it's also emerging markets. I think um, it, the two biggest risks, like I said, one is one is founder risk, and 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 I would say you know one is regulatory or environmental, not environmental, right. but like you know wider macro environmental sort of risk. Um, I think I, I think the first risk is that you know you have to really be able to back a founder that 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 that, that you trust, right? Yeah, I, 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 I think that's number one. I think I, I've, I've heard, um, you know, VCs actually say there's no point, like, you know, thinking about that once the money's actually dispersed. You need to make sure that you trust the person that you're going to actually give money to. Um, and, and and there's no real replacement for that judgment. I think, um, you know, there are four partners in Teja, and, th- and three of us are really early stage guys. And so we've had quite a lot of experience in terms of accessing founders that we want to back, um, and, 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 and so I think in, in, in that, I, I think to be honest with you, that's not really a, a very substantive or I would say structured or legal answer, but that mm-hmm. really is your best way of risk mitigation. Because if you are, for example, you know, close enough to the founder, you know, what's going on. Second of all, if you are going to be the person that founder goes to when there's trouble, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's exactly, I think right. where, where you actually want to be. That is your best way of risk mitigation because they are always going to go to you. Um, and so you're always going to know the truth. So, for example, you know, when they're about to really reach their value inflection point, you know, you know that. So it may be that you want to increase your stake. 
when they're running into trouble, you know, essentially you'll you'll know that, and and you'll be able to help them, or you may be able thinking of finding a, a, a way to exit. So I think I, I think that to me is sort of the you know the the, the biggest risk risk mitigation way. I think there are bigger macroeconomic you know. Um, I think issues. I think the question actually said things like India and Thailand right. and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, right. you know, you know, India suddenly banned all Chinese apps, for example. There's no, there's, <laughs> right. there's literally nothing you you can do about that. Thailand has, you know, unrest. But this, to be honest, this unrest for us is is not new. I mean, this has been <laughs> since the the sixties and the seventies. You know, so so I think, and and that also means as a venture capitalist, for example, you know, we have chosen to sort of. Um, really focus, you know, in terms of Southeast Asia, you know, our key market is really Indonesia, right? Because, um, you know, we feel that. I, I think the question as a venture capitalist is always this, the return justify the risk. It's not about eliminating the risk. Um, and I think the third thing is really, I think, investing together with partners whom you trust. So whether it's an early stage whereby we invest with leading angels, you know, who are actually very mm-hmm. famous business people, but we trust them, you know, um, or, or or investing with funds that, 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 that you know, you know, have, have great reputation, you know, you know, can take the company to the next level. I think that those these are all ways that you can mitigate that risk. But I don't think that can eliminate it. I, you can't eliminate political risk. You know, you you, you you just can't. Yeah. Right. Great. Well, well, we're almost out of time. And I have sort of one final question that I ask all the guests on China Corner Office that I'd love to pose to you. Just the one piece of advice uh, you would give to people who want to do business in China, what would that be? You know, I, I, I thought about this. Um, I think I, I think the first thing is that don't go into I, I mean this this is the truth the true for China but also true for for many other markets I I, I think don't go into um, um, a market you know if if you know you know if if, if 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 you're ignorant of it like I think China is is an incredible market but also incredibly challenging market there are lots and lots of nuances I think is the first thing is that to invest in markets that you actually understand that that you actually know and then the second thing I think is that you know. Um, I don't enter any market in terms of investment unless I know who to trust on the ground. Um, you know, who your partners are on the ground, um, you know, are, are very, very important. So there's certain markets which I'm just not comfortable going in because, you know, I, 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 I don't know who to, who to use as a reference point or, or necessarily, you know, we, we can't do reference checks on, 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 the, on the founders or, you know, um, we don't know, you know, if, 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 if there's going to be fraud, you know. So, so, so I think um, the second bit, and I think the third thing is particularly with the Chinese market is that, I think if you are going to partner with someone or if you're going to have a team in China, I think the key, the, well, the biggest thing I learned is to learn to work with them, not expect them to work for you, but to work with you. I think ownership, I'd say, you know, local ownership. And when I mean ownership, I don't just mean that in terms of like, you know, financial. I mean, like ownership is actually, you know, the best way that any foreign company could actually, you know, thrive or um or really succeed in, in in China and they haven't been you know they had like a lot of the biggest technology companies have failed in China actually so so I I, I mean that would be my my advice if anyone wanted to do business in in China yeah super well we're just about out of time I just want to say thank you so much Virginia for sharing your experience at Teja Ventures you know learn not just about the Xi economy just venture investing in Asia and China in general. I think it's been a very enlightening discussion. I'd like to thank all of our attendees uh, for coming. Please, you know, sign up for this new podcast, uh, China Corner Office, uh, which you can find on SubChina. You can find on on any podcast uh, apps you, you look at. And finally, just want to say thank you to the Serica Initiative for initiating this series. And they have a variety of really exciting upcoming doing well by doing business webinars coming up. So thank you all. 
Thank you, Chris. Thanks for joining us on China Corner Office. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Marquis, Kaiser Kuo, and Jason McRonald. Did you enjoy the show? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know your thoughts. And don't forget to subscribe to the feed for alerts when new episodes are published. See you soon.